This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Everyone is voting for Jack. Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack Jack is on the right track Cause he's got Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I am back again for the second part of the Cuban Missile Crisis Podcast with my friend, teacher, and historian Ryan Pryor. And he brought in the prelude great last week and we are just rolling into the next. So make sure we're you're We're rolling to the next. We are, we're, we're exiting the prelude. Yes. And we're going to the is it I think this is the interlude. I'm not gonna look it up. I'm too proud. Well, you're gonna give me bad reviews because people are gonna be like, it's not the interlude. Well, <laughs> like, listen, if you're that person out there, shame on you. Shame on you. There's no need for known. that kind of there's no need for that kind of smoke. We're all here just have a have a good time. Tell That's me the second about time it. I've used the term smoke in this podcast, by the way. Hey, you're doing it. Thank you. Great. All right, where were we? Prelude, we had prelude. We talked all about the background of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is very important because context matters, right? We've got mm-hmm. to understand context if we're going to understand what's going on. So here we are. Picture it. All that context, all that great background information. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it right now. Kennedy is not informed of any of this stuff going on because they didn't really know until October 15th, 1962. That's kind of the beginning of the crisis, right? Is October 15th. Kennedy isn't notified until the very, until the next day. His, uh, his secretary of defense or secretary of war, I think at the time it was still called, which I'm glad they changed that because, you know, we don't want to imply that we're going to go to war it's all the time. It's an interesting title. Yeah. It was secretary of war. I'm pretty sure. What's your job? Secretary of war? Secretary of war. <laughs> it's way better than what the agricultural secretary used to be. Secretary of hunger. Um, no, I don't think, I don't think that was, that was, <laughs> oh, not, I was that's like, is true. that true? No, that's, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Uh, we should do it some way, a podcast where I just, we just do like three truths and a lie, and I, we see which one you can identify as the, as the uh, lie. We're doing that. There that would be hilarious. No doubt. That we would could be do, hilarious. You could do three truths and a lie, and then you try to pick which one it is. Uh, I think that would be funny. But anyway, October 15th, <laughs> Kennedy is notified of that they have, they have sort of confirmed the, the existence of nuclear weapons in Cuba. Okay, of nuclear of weapons capable of reaching the United States, they have confirmed that they are there. And so Kennedy calls together what's called the XCOM, XCOM, like the X Men, but a bunch of old fat white guys. Um, (laughs) Not nearly as as uh, intimidating, I think, depending on who you are. Unless you're like an intern in the Senate office, then XCOM was super intimidating (laughs) for sure. Um, But if you're a super villain, XCOM, yes, XCOM is the executive committee of the National. Security Council, XCOM, Executive Committee of the National Security Council. On October 16th, and they get together to sort of decide, okay, what was it we were going to do? October 16th, Bobby sent to contact the Soviet ambassador, Anatoly Dobrovjinin. Oh, Lord. Dobrovjinin. <laughs> Anatoly, I'm going to say that again. Anatoly Dobrovjinin. And basically, and says, okay, hey, is this true? And Khrushchev tells him, so Nikita Khrushchev, who we talked about before, right, the, the sort of this attack dog of the Soviet Politburo, it tells uh, Anatoly to say basically what I like to call the shaggy defense. It wasn't me. We don't know what you're talking about. Didn't happen. Not doesn't exist. Well, here are pictures. Wasn't me. We saw missiles on the counter. Wasn't me. You've had to have heard. Come on. You didn't. I didn't get enough reaction from you. You have to have heard shaggy like 
It was Emmy. Are you talking about like Shaggy, like Scooby Doo? No. Um, so no. I no, mean, no. It, no Shaggy, the 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 artist, the the musical artist, like uh, got me on camera. It wasn't me. You have never oh, heard that song? yeah, I've heard that now. No, when you said Shaggy Defense, I was like, oh, it wasn't me with Scooby and, like, they're eating. Like, no, that's what my I God. thought. <laughs> no, it's not, not Scooby-Doo. Both work. Oh okay. okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, they say no. That we have no, there are no missiles in Cuba that can go from ground to ground. We have no ground-to-ground missiles whatsoever. So Kennedy and, and XCOM sort of come together with five possible responses. The first is a very diplomatic response. It is nuanced. It is to do nothing. Basically, a lot of guys on the XCOM say, honestly, even if there are missiles in Cuba, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the balance of power uh, in, in the world because the Soviets have nuclear-capable submarines. They can launch missiles from anywhere in the Pacific or the Atlantic. Also, we know that like, we have just as many missiles pointed at them as they would at us. Like, It's not going to change the balance of power. No need to do, do anything. The second is diplomacy. They sort of say, like, okay, well, what if we open up back channels and we try to use our you know, ambassadors and go back and forth, right? That's kind of the other one. Uh, the third is to basically make a secret negotiation with Castro. They say, well, let's go down and talk to Castro. Tell him we won't invade ever. We'll promise never to invade. We'll give you aid. We'll do anything you want. Just kick the Soviets and their missiles out of Cuba. The third, in sorry, the fourth is an invasion combined with airstrike capabilities. So, and this, by the way, scarily enough, is the most popular of all the options. Everyone's like, yeah, we got to invade. We oh, need to geez. invade Cuba. We need to send troops and artillery and, and air capabilities, and we have to invade Cuba. And the fifth is to engage in what's called a blockade, a naval blockade, which basically means you, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. You block people off. You block other ships off by putting a line of ships up and saying, don't go past this line. XCOM and Kennedy, uh, XCOM wants to invade real bad. They've got the itchy trigger finger. They're like, okay, let's, let's do it. Like, let's get in there, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go. And uh, Kennedy, and again, in a show of, of understanding of calm-headedness, says that not only would they lose probably friends in the, in the national sphere, in the Western world from invading Cuba, but also that they would probably lose West Berlin in the process. That if, if we invade Cuba, the, the Soviets will see no reason not to just completely like say, get out of West Berlin. We're coming in with troops and tanks. You can stay if you want, but you'll be captured. But Kennedy has a problem. Kennedy has a big problem. Not one month before, he had promised the American people in a public statement that if Cuba was ever compromised, if there were ever missiles in Cuba, that they would take action, that they would prevent that threat. Yikes. Right. Which is why presidents don't say anything about anything now, because they don't want to be held to account for what they did before. And they, they go back and forth, invasion, not invasion, diplomacy, whatever. And finally, they settle by October 21st, they settle on a blockade. They say, okay, we're going to blockade. We're basically going to tell the Soviets, stop sending missile parts to Cuba. We're going to block off your ability to, to send ships into the, the, the Caribbean, the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and, and hopefully that will calm things down long enough for us to create a diplomatic solution. And October 22nd is when Kennedy finally reveals this to the nation, about a week after he's informed. And there's a great speech on this, which you should probably put in a a segment of, where Kennedy sort of explains what's going on. He sort of informs the nation that there have been, that the Soviets are trying to put missiles in Cuba, and that here is what the government of the United States is going to do in response to that. Yeah, I'll put that right here. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. 
Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Upon receiving the first preliminary hard information of this nature, last Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., I directed that our surveillance be stepped up. And having now confirmed and completed our evaluation of the evidence and our decision on a course of action, this government feels obliged to report this new crisis to you in fullest detail. Guys, I am so excited to share with you a company that I've teamed up with and I know you'll really love. History Hoard lets you experience the past firsthand by bringing you genuine small relics from history. Serving in World War II is such a huge part of JFK's story and overall such a monumental time in our history as a whole. Because I've studied and I love collecting things from that era, I got the World War II collection and I absolutely love it. With an incredible display and certificate of 100% authenticity, it's truly amazing to hold a piece of history in my hands. They also have items from other periods like the Civil War, the Golden Age of Piracy, Medieval Times, and even coins from ancient Rome. You can get your own World War II collection or one of the other many amazing artifacts by visiting www.historyhoard.com, which I'll link in the show notes, and use the code Kennedy Dynasty with no spaces to get 15% off your order. If you're listening to this podcast, then you probably love history. And if you love history, I'm telling you, you have to check this company out. So again, visit www.historyhoard.com. That's historyhoard.com. And use the code Kennedy Dynasty with no spaces to get 15% off. Happy shopping. Isn't it crazy, by the way, that I just don't see any, I don't see a situation in the modern world, given the like, the war on terror and subterfuge and all that kind of stuff where presidents would even make knowledge, acknowledge the existence of things like this. I don't feel like there would be like in the modern, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't see a, like until things are over and done with, like if there yeah. was actually a national crisis like this, a worldwide crisis, I don't see a president coming out and saying it until it was over with. Yeah. I can see what you're saying, especially one that technically the average American person wouldn't have under their nose anyway, without the president exactly. putting it there. So yeah, that's right. what you're saying. Well, what would be the, and even in this situation, like, does telling the American people do anything for them? Because they can't do anything to affect this. It you know probably what I mean? just caused the hysteria. Which but it did. His, I mean, right. But he was probably he probably did it because he was afraid it would leak out before, he, and they wouldn't have heard it from their president. My, you know? So my wife's fam, my wife's mother and father were both older, and um, my mother was the daughter of an Air Force, a colonel in the Air Force who was stationed in Florida during the time. At the time, he was in charge of a entire wing of B fifty two bombers. He would have been in charge of launching them to go and drop bombs. And she says they weren't scared at all. They knew that's why I said earlier that on the base, the people in the military were like, "Yeah, it's fine." Like things, like he knew the current, he knew that there was a very little chance that they were actually going to launch bombs or mm-hmm. launch bombers. Caroline's dad had no military in his family. He said they were flipping a shit. Like they were yeah. like they were super concerned. Oh, so, I'd be terrified. Right, exactly. Like if you have no insider knowledge of this, you'd be terrified. And so it is. Um, the communist world responds to this provocation, this Kennedy speech. The Chinese government says that there are 650 million Chinese uh, citizens firmly standing behind Cuba and and Castro, and and says, "Hey, uh, you know, we're here for you, communist bros, communist um, comrades." And the U.S. goes into what's – so you've heard of DEFCON that goes yeah. to DEFCON 2, which is the highest it's ever been in the history of the United States was DEFCON 2. It goes all the way down. To, it goes from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 1. During the Cold War, we were at a constant state of DEFCON 4. And I think right now 
we're like DEFCON 4 as well, but we've been DEFCON 5, but it was DEFCON 2, which is the highest it's ever been. I'm going to say DEFCON one more time. Uh, Drink when you hear DEFCON. (laughs) We put put bombers in the air. We put all of our nuclear submarines on ready alert. We put, I mean, this is where things get interesting. This is the escalation period. So about about seven or eight, seven to ten days after the, the initial reports, all of a sudden, we've got nuclear weapons flying over, we've got nuclear capable planes flying uh, in and around Soviet airspace. We're ready to fight. Interestingly enough, most historians and people who have studied this period recognize that this was actually, even though this was a period of escalation, we, we were probably farther away from nuclear war than ever before during that time, during those couple of days. Why? Because the Russians weren't doing the same thing. The Russians mm. did not mobilize their air, their air force. The, the Russians were not mobilizing their submarine fleets for some reason. Um, probably because Nikita Khrushchev knew that at the end of the day, this was all a show of force and not necessarily a provocation. But there's speculation on that. On October 26th, so we're, we're about 11 days into the crisis, Kennedy then comes back and brings up the idea of invasion again. So I don't know what happened. Kennedy decides uh, we're going to openly, like, we're going to start to openly talk about invasion. Now, we think this is a part of a diplomacy move. The fact is, is that there was a network of Soviet spies that had infiltrated the federal government at this point. Kennedy knew this. And so he started to openly, not in secret, he and the XCOM and the Joint Chiefs started to openly plan how they would invade Cuba for a second time, knowing that the spies would then report this to Nikita Khrushchev. So Kennedy was probably, we think, making a sort of a strategic move here. He was never going to invade Cuba, we don't think. Okay? The, the likelihood was very low. But what he was doing is showing Nikita Khrushchev, hey, all right, step up. Mm-hmm. If you're going to continue on with this, if you're not going to back down, we're going to invade Cuba. And so without ever actually saying to Nikita Khrushchev or the people of the United States, hey, we're going to invade Cuba. And things reach a boiling point because now this, okay, now Nikita Khrushchev thinks that they're like, like okay, maybe they're going to invade Cuba. This is the back and forth. And October 27th, a U-2 spy plane, we talked about U-2s earlier, mm-hmm. okay, is shot down over Cuba, so which is bad. The pilot is killed, and the tensions escalate immediately, almost, because that's an act of war, shooting yeah. down another nation's plane. And um, the Cubans basically say, wait a minute, hold on. No, sorry, the Cubans. The, the Soviets basically say, no, wait, this was a Cuban SAM turret. The Cubans decided to do this without any authorization from us. This wasn't us. This wasn't us. And Kennedy had said that he would attack if something like this had happened and was pushed to do so by his joint chiefs, by, his, by, his ex, by the XCOM, but decided against it. The Cuban Missile Crisis is, a, is sort of a back and forth, a, a microcosm of the Cold War, because throughout the entire 50-year saga of the Cold War, there were these periods of escalation and de-escalation where one wrong action could have caused disastrous consequences. But Kennedy ultimately decides that he is not going to, uh, to respond, says that if it happens again, we're going to do something. Bobby is sent to talk to the... So Bobby is doing a lot of the back-channeling here during this crisis. He's the one talking to the Soviet ambassador. And uh, he basically tells Anatoly, you guys got lucky, right? Kennedy had chosen to not, against the wishes of the XCOM and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, had chosen not to attack. You guys got lucky here. Mm-hmm. So negotiations are going back and forth at this point, right? So they're still... So, that, so again, we've reached this provocation point. The U-2 spy plane is shot down. They're going back and forth. And the biggest contention here is that really Khrushchev wants to get West Berlin out of this deal, but he's not going to. I think he, he realized at this point that he wasn't going to. And 
what he really, what he sort of decides on is we really want the United States to take those missiles. Those, those, remember those missiles we talked about in Turkey? Yeah. And Italy? They really wanted those missiles gone. They did not want those missiles there. They, they, again, like I said, that was sort of a part of the deal. Turkey is really upset about this. They're like, no, we want missiles in our, we want missiles to stay here. These, they're called Jupiter missiles. Mm-hmm. Um, have some really cool names like George Washington and like, like Minuteman. We now have Minuteman. All of our nuclear Arsenal at this point has names relating to the Revolutionary War, which I don't know why. Like our current missile class is called the Minuteman missile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the Revolutionary War. But at the time, they yeah. were called like uh, like the John Adams and the and the like like the George Wash the Washington whatever missile. But these were called Jupiter class missiles. They wa- Turkey did not want us to take them out because they feared Russian incursion uh, into their into the, their sovereignty. Right. And the the missiles sort of helped keep those Russians at bay. All throughout this, they're comes a point to where during this period, during this sort of period of negotiation, we come closer as a nation, as a world, to destruction and annihilation than we have ever in the history of the United in the world in, in, to this point. And the funny thing about it is, is neither, nobody knew about it. The United States government, Kennedy included, did not know about this. Of course, he would never know about it because it wasn't revealed until a 40 years later conference in Havana and have people who were participants in the Cuban Missile Crisis come together to discuss things. Now, I want to say that again. The closest we as a, as a world have probably ever come that we know of, that we know mm-hmm. of, right? Because did not come about, we didn't know about these two things that I'm about to tell you about until 40 years later. That's so crazy. The first was that a U-2 spy plane had accidentally crossed during this time into Soviet airspace causing both nations to mobilize fighter jets with nuclear-capable missiles and, and nuclear-tipped missiles into sort of a, a premature sortie. A sortie is a battle between jets and fighter planes. That almost caused nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Again, nobody knew about that until 40 years later. The other one, the really scary one, is the one that even the United States government wasn't aware of at the time. And it was that during what's called Black Saturday, this was that October 27th day where the U-2 spy plane was shot down and all the other things, a United States cruiser had discovered a Soviet submarine approaching, decided to start dropping depth charges, which are these bombs that you drop and they don't explode until they're down below the surface of the, of the, of the water. And they're designed to, to destroy submarines. So this, the submarine is desperately needs air, needs to come up for air. And they've lost communication with their central command. A lot of times during this early period of, of the Cold War, submarines didn't have super long-range communication capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so they would have to go radio silent. And these depth charges caused the captain of the submarine to think that nu- that war has already started. <gasps> no way. Yes. And so he orders the, the nuclear missile that's on board <gasps> Shut to up. be readied for launch. Oh, my gosh. Nobody knows this is going on. The captain, like nobody in the government knows this is going on. Kennedy doesn't know this is going on. H- hell, the Russians didn't even know about it until I think a couple months later. And on board, and so here's, here's the one thing that saved us. Bureaucracy saved us. Because according to the rules of engagement, all three captains on board submarines in the, in the Soviet Navy had to agree oh. to launch a missile. I just acted like I didn't know that that <laughs> didn't happen. I was like, oh, thank God. Two guys agreed. Two of the captains said, let's launch it. The oh, third Jesus. guy, a guy by the name of Vasily Arkhipov said, maybe not. So if it wasn't for this one guy, because they would have launched it if he'd agreed. Oh, thank God. We That's probably awful. would have started, there probably would have been a nuclear war. That is nuts. I truly did moment. not know that. Fascinating stuff. That is, and then again, nobody knew until 2002. 
Yeah, now what is it? Now let's take let's take a step back from the grand scope of things and talk about the fact that that kind of stuff has not only happened for the last seventy years. We don't. We, there's stuff we have no idea about. But it's currently happening. I'm not saying be afraid, hide it, you know, duck and cover or whatever. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that be aware mm-hmm. the fragility of of civilization. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. Be aware, because and that's by the way. Remember again, the past is never dead. It isn't even past yet. Yeah, there it is. There's a callback. Right? There it is. Callback, right? It's, the, it's my catchphrase. It's not my catchphrase. That was William Faulkner's <laughs> catchphrase. It but, could be yours too. Your yeah, mantra. Yeah, my mantra. Like the fragility of civilization is a fascinating thing. That once, if you start studying history, if you really dig into history, you start to learn that the things we take for granted, they're not always what we see. That what they seem, and we're always closer to the end than we think we are. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. <laughs> More so in the last hundred years. Before before 1940, really not so much, you know. Well, now you're scaring like me. I heal the warrior. You're fine. Listen, there's is there anything you can do about it? No. Exactly. <laughs> so you're fine. True. Keep living your life. Okay, I do have a question. You said that the government wasn't really afraid, but I've listened to the tapes that Jackie Kennedy did, and she kind of says that she was they almost took her to the bunkers to stay with the kids but she was going to stay with jack because if they went down like they wanted to go down together and all that kind of stuff so were they i mean you i guess you'd still be a little afraid but do you think that they were like really afraid or did they really know that nothing was going to happen i don't know i'm just kind of confused I, about that. i would say that on october 27th was the day that they like the one day that they felt super scared okay because yeah, after October twenty second, things after October twenty seventh, things got things like de-escalated really quickly. So after this, after the U two spy plane is shot down, the, you know the Soviets kind of recognize this is getting really close to a hot war, not a cold war. Kennedy secretly agrees to remove the missiles from Turkey and Italy, sends that to Khrushchev, and um, Khrushchev is like, okay, cool, and agrees almost immediately without involving. And this is going to be this is important. He agrees to that the compromise with Kennedy without discussing it with the Politburo in Moscow. He's he's at his what's called a DACA, which is like a, a summer home for Russian oligarchs, and uh, he agrees immediately to the terms uh, without discussing it with the Politburo. That will come back to bite him in the um, arsehole yes. later. <laughs> the the blockade continues. The the reason that the the ISIS is said to have gone out into November is because the blockade did continue until we had photographic evidence that. The Soviets had removed or, or dismantled the missiles in Cuba. The perception of this was that it was Kennedy's probably greatest diplomatic victory. Mm-hmm. Um, the perception worldwide and in the nation was that Kennedy successfully maneuvered us through the most difficult time in, in our history to that point. This is where there's sort of some debate among historians about the actual significance in that the Kennedy de- administration definitely played this up. They played it out as in, hey, we were on the brink of disaster and JFK brought us through it and also used it to shame the Russians. There is debate about whether or not it was as significant as an event as it was. We know now it was. We certainly know now. But in the the years directly afterwards, there was certainly a perception by the American people that they had averted disaster um, and that Kennedy was directly responsible for it. And didn't his polls go way up? Polls went way up. Huge boost. I mean, he was almost a shoe-in for Mm re-election. Mm-hmm. It also helped to solidify uh, Democrat gain, Democratic gains in the Senate and the House because, of course, there was a midterm that year. The other side is that Khrushchev basically lost, would only be in power for another two years, and he was, he was removed as the Soviet premier by the Politburo, in part because they felt embarrassed. Because not only had Nikita Khrushchev escalated the conflict to begin with, he was the one who moved to put you know, missiles in Cuba in the first place. He also lost, right? It's like picking a fight that you lose. 
It's a mm-hmm. double embarrassment. It's one thing to pick the fight in the per- first place. It's another thing to lose the fight. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, so the Americans removed the, the, the missiles in, in Turkey and, and Italy, but because of, our nuclear, because of our ICBM capabilities, it really didn't matter. By 1965, a whole new class of, of, of missiles would be, would be available that made, honestly, would have made the Cuban missile presence null and void because of the capabilities of the new intercontinental yeah. ballistic missiles. That's wild. And, and yeah, so I mean, like I said, the Cuban Missile Crisis is this very, I mean, it's this, you know, very sort of contentious affair of diplomacy and politics and back-channeling. There's a whole lot more. I didn't go into, seriously, I mean, there's so much diplomacy, but as is the case, um, there's this great movie called The Big Fish. I think we've, I think I've talked about it before, but one of the things, one of the quotes from The Big Fish that I always remember is, you want to make sure that you, you don't have all the facts and none of the flavor. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of a good history teacher is to make sure that you take the flavor and you make sure that you're not bogged down by the facts because the facts, some people think when they tell a story, they need to include everything. But actually, you know, a lot of times you just need to include the things that are the most important. So, I mean, there's hours and hours and hours worth of more information of back channeling and secret government conspiracy and, and meetings in restaurants in Washington, D.C. suburbs and all sorts of really cool stuff that we didn't go into today. But certainly a win for the Kennedys, or at least JFK, I would say. Well, I learned a lot. And I'm sure you did too, listener. And because of that, we're going to do a Q&A now. I love it. Q&A. Q&A with yep. R&A. <laughs> oh, that's good. There you see. There you go. I don't even need to put my jingle in, but I'm going to anyway. Here it is. Therefore, in answer to your question. What were the different voices on Jack's cabinet saying in regards to his decisions? So there were, I mean, I, we're talking about XCOM here. So they were generally in favor of invading Cuba. Escalation. And who's to say Why? Generally speaking, advisors get the benefit of not being the one who bl- who are blamed in the in the grand scheme of history for the actions uh, at a time of great um, decision. But the the executive committee, the, uh, you know, the National Security Council was pretty much saying, to, you know, you need to invade. And every time there was an extra propagation, especially after the the shooting down of the U two spy plane, they were saying, let's do it. Um, yeah. So very, they were they were they were what we call war hawks. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is one that I got a lot. So. And I think she means in regards to, like, the Bay of Pigs incident. Um, she says, do you think that some people wrongfully blamed JFK for being at the fault of the crisis? So blame JFK for being the fault of the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yeah, because of the Bay of Pigs. I think it was JFK's fault, ultimately. I mean, seriously. I mean, I think the Bay of Pigs and... Well, that's and a big the, bomb to drop at the end. Well, no pun intended, <laughs> at the end of the podcast. I didn't want to get into it in the, in the, in the interlude. Now we're in the, uh, the deluge? No. What's the, I don't know. The postlude. The postlude. Um, sure. In the postlude, I'm going to drop truth bombs. No, it was JFK's fault. I mean, I, 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 that you can you can at me if you want. I mean, we can certainly me. have I a discussion know. about it. Um, <laughs> the Bay of Pigs was such a poorly planned and executed affair that was doomed to fail from the very beginning. All it was ever going to do was piss Castro off. All it was ever going to do was give the Cubans a, a excuse to covey up with the Soviets. That was it. And it was, it, again, like I said, it just wasn't going to work. They, weren't inv- they were trying to create an insurrection. Uh, by all accounts, it was a resounding Cuban victory over paramilitary forces. It was a poorly planned attack. It was diplomatically stupid because there's an economic concept called unintended consequences. Nobody thought about what could possibly lead to out of, of a failed invasion attempt. If you're going to do it, you got to do it big. And so it was half measures. It was never going to succeed. 
Uh, we should actually probably do an episode on the Bay of Pigs because we just kind of glazed oh, over it for this one because that's obviously Cuban Missile Crisis is way more than just that. But we should do an uh, episode on that. I agree. Cuban Missile Crisis is fascinating. Do a lot of do reading on it. I don't have a book per se to recommend. Maybe Allison will will look into something and yeah, recommend something for you all. I think there's um, one called 13 Days. So I'll actually post about that on my Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y-D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y. I've got a Facebook now, so follow me there. Um, make sure you check my links in my Instagram bio for cool Kennedy Dynasty merch. And thank you again, Ryan Pryor, for being on my podcast again. I'm sure I'll talk to you within a month or so. Yes, the Bay of Pigs. Yeah, let's do it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and I host the Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other podcast. You can find us at politicsandreligion.us. That's politicsandreligion.us. We are your home for edifying, provocative, and fun discussions among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of screamers and extremists dominating the conversation and you want to join us and take some of that space back, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you appreciate some nuance and just having a little fun, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. And remember, we're real easy to find. It's politicsandreligion.us. Hope to see you soon. We'd love to have you join the conversation on talking politics and religion without killing each other.